good to be here this morning. I want to speak on the topic of humility this morning. And uh, you may say, why do you want to speak on this topic? I just feel led to do so. Tonight, of course, is our annual congregational business meeting. And uh, the reason we do one a year is because if I tried to do two a year, you guys would be really upset with me. So we're doing just one a year. But it's a, it's a critical meeting for us to come together as a community to just talk about, uh, to just clarify vision, to talk about some of the basic mechanics of community life, and uh, to take uh, questions and concerns, uh, you know, to discuss a little bit, and then of course they have pizza. So it's Bob, uh, Barry Isaacson's idea about the Illuminati's pizza, and I think it's been a tremendous tradition all these years. Uh, but you know what? Community, community isn't easy. Uh, living in community isn't easy. Think about your own families for a moment. All right? Think about your own families. Uh, you know, community starts with your siblings. <laughs> okay? Do you have community with them? And what does it mean to be in community with them? And how easy is that? You know, people are different. People have their perspectives. People can be a little prickly. Uh, as I've said before, um, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. I was out, I saw my mother and my brother when I was out in Northern California. And of course, uh, no one can speak to you like your mother, <laughs> you know, who can say whatever she wants, basically, you know. Uh, and then, of course, I have a brother who doesn't really have much of a filter. You know, as I mentioned before, my brother's a bounty hunter and a bailsman, bail bondsman. That's a life he has chosen to live, and he has no filter. And so when he talks to me, he says things that I just don't really care to listen to from anyone, but he's my brother. All right? You know what that reality is. In some ways, that's actually really good, because they understand something that often we forget, and that is that they are related no matter what. You know, they're connected biologically. They can get away with all kinds of things because they're connected biologically. They're going to talk into my life whether I want to hear or not because biologically we're connected. And actually, you know, and I've learned, and the reason why this whole thing does work is I've learned that I can, I, they're my, my brother and my mother, and I'm just going to have to listen to them even if I don't like what they say. And I'll just have to process it in whatever way I need to process it because fundamentally I love my mother and my brother. And so that's just the way it is, all right? But in a congregational community, community can be really difficult sometimes. A lot of it has to do with the fact that there's a certain level of pride that we all have. Pride of person. And, and that impacts at times what we're willing to both hear from one another as well as say to one another. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to just take a little bit of time and talk about the importance of humility in community. Using the example of Messiah Yeshua from Philippians chapter 2. To talk about humility though and give a couple of practical applications for us even as we go into this meeting this evening. So turn with me please to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to review uh, pretty much the chapter. Although again, we're, I'm mostly going to be uh, just applying the text, not doing a deep exegetical study of the text this morning. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin by looking just at the first four verses. Breaking this down in verses 1 through 11 on reviewing the example of Yeshua's life. And then in verses 12 through 18, focusing on specific applications for our lives. Okay, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore... 
If there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Ruach, if there is any mercy and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, united in spirit with one purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility consider others as more important than yourselves, looking out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. A couple of things I want to mention, first of all, when we think about the body of Messiah as a whole, because remember, we're a microcosm. We're just one part of what is the universal body of Messiah. And what that means is all believers in Yeshua, wherever they live around the world, are part of this one body. That's the term used in the text. This one community of faith in the Messiahship of Yeshua. So we're just one little part of it. When you think about the body of Messiah, is the body of Messiah all alike? No. The body of Messiah is very different. All right? Even within our union, I go from one congregation to another congregation, everybody's a little bit different. But think about the fact that in there, on our congregation, we worship on Shabbat morning here, we rent to a Filipino church on Sunday morning. They're very different from us. If you've ever been in here on a Sunday morning and you hear what they do and how they do things, they're very different from us. You know, if you go to the south side of Chicago and you go to uh, some of those uh, African-American churches on the south side of Chicago, they are very different from us. All right? When you go into, you know, a little village, all right, to uh, a church within the Hispanic community, because this is Chicago and we got all these neighborhoods, right? They're going to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they're not going to do it the way we do. All right, you go out to Wheaton, the New Jerusalem, with all those white Anglo-Saxon Protestants out there in Wheaton. They do it different too. But all who accept Yeshua is the Messiah, that believe in His shed blood for the atonement of their sins, all of us together are part of the body of Messiah. We are collective. We are a whole. We are united, but we're all very different. There isn't... There isn't a need to focus on uniformity within the body of Messiah. Sometimes I think we get, we get stuck on that. And it inhibits us. What God calls for us to be is in unity with one another. We should be praying for our fellow uh, believers in Yeshua. Especially those who are in difficulties in the Middle East, in different parts of this world. We need to be praying for them. They are our brothers and our sisters in faith. And we need to be supportive of them. In our community, though, and I say that talking about the fact that there's not uniformity within this united body of Messiah, but within our community, there needs to be tremendous unity. Tremendous unity. And this is a little bit of what we, we pick out here in the first couple of verses. Shaul here is alluding to a lack of unifying behavior within this congregation. So within this Philippian community, there is a lack of unifying behavior. I love it. At one point he says, make my joy complete. Make me happy. Get along. That's what he's saying. Sometimes I've said it to some of you. (laughs) Make me happy. Get along. Do we realize the power within our community, the power of getting along? As we're going to see in just a moment, we're going to talk about congregational unity. Congregational unity is extremely important. When I was out in one of the congregations, well, in both congregations I spoke at, they both uh, had to deal with major tensions within their unity. On one side, uh, they've split twice in the last four years. 
because of issues of vision and focus and theology. On the other side, there's been a problem of leadership. You know, it hasn't led to a split, thank God, but it led to severe tension because of a lack of submission to an appreciation of, of singular-focused leadership. Unity is very hard fought within a congregation. Why? Because look around the room. <laughs> we are all very different. We are all uniquely different. And in order for there to be effective congregational unity, there must be a commitment to one another to live within a united understanding. And so what I want to do is I want to take just a few moments and I want to talk about what con- congregational unity looks like. And if you have your, invert, your announcement sheet, you can see this on the notes section. Congregational unity, first of all, must involve agreement on purpose. Agreement on purpose. Every congregation that is, very, that is effective, every community that's effective, is effective because they're united on the purpose of what they're about. Our purpose as a community is to be literally a testimony within the Jewish community of Jewish people from the community of come to faith in Yeshua. Right? That's our purpose. You know, our purpose is not, you know, helping the poor. Our purpose is not, you know, um, you know, trying to run children's programs. Our purpose is not just teaching from the biblical text. Those are all nice, but we have a rather singular purpose that brings us together. Purpose is extremely important. Being willing to, pur- to submit to the purposes and goals of the congregation you're in is very important. Hopefully, as you sit in the pew this morning, you're here because you understand that as somebody connected with the Jewish community, one way or the other, that you desire to live out your identity as a Jewish person, as well as desire to grow in your relationship with God, as well as desire to be a relevant testimony within our greater Jewish community. That that is... Really, you understand that as the purpose for your being here. We're pretty tight on that, I think, overall. And I think that's one of the things that's helped us as a community. Agreement on purpose, though, is very important within a congregation. Also, agreement on theology. Agreement on theology. And in the congregation I was just in, and then it came up in meetings with rabbis in California, uh, you know, there are, there, there's a heavy, a renewed push uh, among people of Christian background who believe that they are obligated to keep the Torah like Jewish people. This is something called one law. One law. And people don't understand that what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new understanding or a whole new approach to what is called theologically as replacement theology. If, if everyone is to keep the law like Jewish people, then, then there no longer is a Jewish people. There is just a Christianity that's now been rebranded as the new Israel. That's why as a congregation we take a very firm stand that Gentiles are not bound to keep the Torah like Jewish people. That there is freedom in Messiah Yeshua. We see that in Acts chapter 15 and other places within the biblical text, including the book of Galatians. For the point that God has demonstrated his commitment to the Jewish people and Jewish people demonstrate their commitment to God, by adhering to the Torah of God. Something that is, is very difficult, even as the text speaks of. And, uh, and so, theology is very important. There's been a number of divisions over time. Again, the, la- the last split that took place in the congregation out in Virginia was because there's a group of people that had this theological position. Um, I know it's, it's hard to hard to believe, but uh, we'll be sending uh, uh, Rabbi Mark Kinzer of Ann Arbor, Michigan to Germany. Uh, he's going to be going, it looks like, at the end of June. 
He'll be meeting with congregational leaders in Germany, Messianic Jewish congregational leaders, who are really in, in all of this whole section of Middle Europe. And the reason he's going out is because there is a, a, a rising understanding that, that the deity of Yeshua is a false teaching among some of these leaders. You may say, how is that possible? This has been dealt with within the, the Messianic Jewish community ever since its inception. But here it is, this false theological understanding has risen, it's risen up again. And so our solution is to send one of our best teachers on this topic to Germany specifically to help them process this theologically. We have to be united in theology as a congregation. All right? Small little things we can disagree on. All right? But if you read that doctrinal statement, which we have, and which Eric printed a bunch of extra copies for on the information table, you'll know that we hold strong theological positions. And we need to be united on this as members within this community and as participants within this community. Because having a, full, a, a, a solid, united understanding of what the Scripture is teaching allows us to be able to walk together through what is sometimes a difficulty as a, as a follower of God in the midst of a very perverted and sinful world. The other thing we have to always focus on in terms of our congregational unity is preferencing one another, preferring one another. You know, when it's Kiddush time and when the service is over, you know, are you the one, the first one to run out and get the bagel and the locks you want? And you go out and you push people aside. If Mildred was here today, because she's not here today, you'd say, out of my way, old lady! And she'd be pushing you back, probably, no, Mildred. <laughs> Do we prefer one another? Do we allow others to go before us? Do we actually not just allow, but do we, do we actually assist others to do better? You know, I think one of the most important things spiritual leaders must do is to facilitate and encourage the, the move, forward movement of other people. I don't always see that among rabbis and, and, and elders and leaders. Elders are supposed to do that. Spiritual leaders are to prefer and encourage and work for the benefit of other people. But all of us should do that. So think about that when we're done and you head toward the Kiddush, you know. Who are you preferring? Who are you, who are you encouraging and helping? But also deferring. Preferring is, is one thing. That's that genuine concern for others and helping them. Deferring is another. Being willing to listen to one another. Sometimes within our Messianic Jewish movement, we tend to fight with one another. We argue about all kinds of things. But also, I would say, and this is something that I've noticed because I tend to talk a lot, and I'm really trying to work on this, to really listen to one another. Listening to one another. All of us are going through life, especially I see this again. I keep on seeing those of you who have gotten older and I've known you for many years, and the realities of life, you know, and, and the exhaustion of life. And, and each of us has a story as to our day and our week, and we need to improve our listening of one another so we really can know how the other's doing. Uh, the com our community should be a place where people come and people know that they're cared for. People really are cared for. We have to improve our ability to really listen to one another, to be sensitive to one another. We're, we all struggle with that. I especially struggle with that. But that's so critical because it's a real demonstration of love. How can we truly care for one, one another? How can we really prefer one another if we do not defer to one another? Really try to understand what's going on, especially in areas of disagreement. Again, in our union and the greater Messianic Jewish community, we have differences of opinion. But you know there's differences of opinion within our congregation. 
hopefully those differences of opinion are, are, are on small things. And if they're not on small things, we truly try to listen and understand one another. But we have to accept the fact that not a single person in here is a robot. Many of you guys are robots. You all have opinions. Many, most of you are highly opinionated. And to encourage our congregational unity, we have to be really listening to one another. Now, I'm going to say on the flip side of that, and this goes to what hurts congregational unity. Four things that hurt congregational unity. Self-serving. People only think about themselves and their own interests. That happens. That happens. We should, you know, don't do that. All, you know, it's very clear in the text. Thinking about others' needs before our own. We should not be self-serving, but it happens a lot within community. Holding grudges and hurts happens a lot within community. Happens in marriage. Keep short accounts. You have an issue with somebody, talk with them. I had somebody last night who got upset with me and he pointed out something. He was hurt by something from months and months ago. And what's so funny is, is that I had no idea it was just said in a joking manner within a conversation, usually a banter. <laughs> you banter with those you know because you feel it's safe. If somebody does say something that hurts, you must keep a short account. Don't hold grudges. Don't hold on to hurts. Talk with somebody. I had no idea that this guy was bothered by me until he came up with it in the midst of a crisis. That's not the time. A fear of living transparently. You know, everybody, this is the typical American greeting. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Yeah, nobody's doing fine. Come on. Everybody's got surus. We've all got problems. A healthy community is a community where people are vocalizing their concerns. I find as a rabbi, you'll notice this, I will tend to ask questions. I will tend to, how are you doing? Most of you are silly. You're trying to avoid, you know, talking. But it's important within community that we're, there's a transparency in the way we live our lives. There's a lot of sin that is committed within community because of a lack of transparency. We, I, I think I mentioned this already. We had to just defrock a rabbi. Because of, of adulterous behavior. The man has managed to live a dual life for a long time. His life is destroyed. His life is destroyed because of the extent of his sin and the way he's approached it. Now how does that happen? You learn to live a dual life. You don't live in a transparent manner. One of the value of community is that you hopefully you're developing relationships with people you can actually be honest with. Be honest with. Sad with this fellow, his own wife said to me, I don't even know who the guy is. I mean, that's how bad his duplicity was. All right? So especially if you're married, make sure you really are open before your spouse. That includes your phone, your email account, everything. You know? Talking to a... Well, so another example we were talking about. I can't stress it enough, transparency. I think that at times, as a general rule, we've been very fortunate in that in terms of a community. But I would encourage you, especially those of you who are younger, who are getting older, and the trials of life are coming in, you have people in your life that you are open with, that you, that you maintain transparency, just in life. All right? And as a community, let's give people space to be transparent. Let's allow people to be able to talk and, and express themselves in an environment that's safe and loving. We all need that. It's good for the person speaking. It's good for those of us who are supporting. But a lack of transparency always hurts community. Finally, independence and rebellion against spiritual authority always kills unity. Okay, I mean, you want to destroy a community? Start an insurrection. 
on something that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, just, you'll just destroy it so fast. I was counseling another congregational leader, and, uh, and, and he's trying to pull his congregation together. And my counsel was simply stability. Leadership, your leadership needs to be stable, needs to be respectable. You need to expect respect from the community, but keep the congregation stable. Respectable leadership is critical. It is very critical. I mean, within our community, we've had some great leaders at this time. Bob and I serving as as a zechanim, as elders. You know, it's it's easy being an elder, right, Bob? <laughs> If you've noticed, he's aged considerable. So it's considerably since we became an elder. He's gone gray in just the last couple of months. No. Assuming spiritual authority really is assuming spiritual service within a community. You know, leaders, leaders are human. You know, tonight we will go through a process of affirmation where the Zachanim are, are affirmed by the community. You know, if you really have a problem with one of us, you should come and talk with us. If you're afraid of one of us, especially Bob, you know, then, then bring somebody else with you. But the idea is, is we are human. You know, let us know if there's things that are wrong. But often in a congregation, and this has occurred in my own understanding from other places, is you have a special event that is called, everybody's been invited but the leader, people uh, decide that they don't like the leader, then they invite the leader and tell them that they have all these problems with him and they basically kick him out. That's terrible. Horrible. These things happen and congregations suffer. All right? It's extremely important as you think about who you are in this community that you, you really do think. And when it comes to leadership, whether it's the synagogue board or the zechanim, whatever, is there, are, there, are there issues that you have not discussed? Is there hurts or questions that you have? You know, bring them to us. But uh, please, don't, don't shoot us in the back or, or talk to three other people on the side and, and start developing some little insurrectional thing. That just destroys unity and it will destroy community. We don't want that. You know, what we see in Messiah Yeshua in verses six or 5 and following is this amazing example of humility. Take a look at the text. It says, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Messiah Yeshua. So just to stop there, I want you to think about our Messiah and his attitude toward all those who mistreated him. Right? He had a lot of people coming against him all the time. It says, Who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking in the form of a slave, becoming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under this earth. And every uh, tongue profess that Yeshua the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that amazing? I mean, to picture Yeshua being God himself, giving all that up in order to provide for us atonement for sin. And in the process of all of that, being ridiculed and, and spoken against, you know, uh, I remember at one point the sons of Zebedee said, hey, call down fire from heaven and burn those people up. And he basically says, ah, let him be. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Would we be as patient? Would we be as humble? Doubtful. Doubtful. Yeshua's example is amazing. And yet it's our example to follow. Ultimately, giving his life, dying a very, very horrific death to purchase our atonement. 
That's the model, the example for us to follow. And we exercise that most effectively within community among other believers. When we live out our faith like Yeshua did among ourselves, when we die to ourselves, in essence, or when we prefer others, or we truly listen and care. I mean, Yeshua, the examples of Him caring for people, caring for people. Go back and read in the Gospel text about His amazing concern for individuals. Do we have that kind of concern in love, really? We struggle, don't we? Let's see what we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit to be more loving, more humble, more caring for others. In verses uh, 12 through 18, we see a couple of, of uh, points that, are, are, that Paul makes in regards to uh, working out this. He says in verse 12, Therefore, my loved ones, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For the one working in you is God, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul, Shaul, starts off by talking about the diligence required for an effective faith. You can't dial it in. You can't, through osmosis, grow in your relationship with God. You can't be passive. To work out your salvation. We come into right relationship with God by faith alone. In in belief, acceptance of Yeshua's atonement. And yet to live out our faith is a lot of work. Because it it demands a lot of dying to ourselves. It demands a lot of of preferring the things that God prefers. It, It demands this sensitivity to the things that please God. My desire is simply to do what pleases God. I blow it a lot, okay? But I want to do what makes God happy. I want to do what, what, what pleases Him. That's my passion. And I, I need to work harder at that. How about you? Do you work hard at that? that that's going to mean that you're going to have to be willing to adjust your priorities to God's priorities. That's going to mean that you're going to have to make sure you're in the Word of God every single day. That you're reading the Scripture that you're spending time in prayer, that you are committed to community, you know, to being a part, an active part of what's going on here. Not just showing up on a Saturday morning and running out the door, but, but active community beyond the walls of this congregation among one another, though. That's what it's going to require. It's that active walking out of your faith. It also means being willing to share your faith with the people that are out there. Being willing to, to intense, in, in, intentionally Look for ways to demonstrate your faith so that people can see it. In verse 14 it says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so they might be blameless and innocent, children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You know, here are the, these two words, uh, uh, grumbling and, and complaining or arguing. You know, the, the Greek words here, here are, you know, uh, you know related to, to a low, you know, the murmuring or this complaining, a, a low tone, a low sound continually going, you know. It's an annoying drip, drip, drip. How many of you can't let go of something and you just complain until you drive everybody crazy? It's not helpful in a congregation. It's sin. Not good for your testimony. It annoys everybody. How many of you are argumentative? You always have to get your way and you're willing to fight and argue and push. It's also not helpful. 
Being pugnacious is not one of the spiritual gifts, okay? Being argumentative is not a spiritual gift. Something that that God calls us to shed, it's bad. Why? Take a look now at verse... (laughs) I really... Give me a moment as I adjust my eyes. Verse, uh, what is that, 16. Holding fast to the word of life, so that I may boast in the day of Messiah that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all, the same way you also rejoice and share your joy with me. I missed the one verse where it's, where part where it says, Children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom, among them, you shine as lights in the world. You know, when we are living in unity within this community, there's a tremendous testimony. Tremendous testimony to all those who come. They see a faith community that actually functions the way everybody's stereotype should be, that it should function. How many of you have ever, when you, those of you who are older, remember the Ozzy uh, and Harriet was a TV show or something? You know, you know, they say that Ozzy and Harriet never existed. But the reason why that show existed is like Leave it to Beaver, which I saw in reruns in the 70s, right? Wonderful family where everything kind of functioned and mom and dad were kind of balanced and somewhat normal. Why do people watch those shows? Because that's not the norm for them generally. My family was dysfunctional. I loved watching Walter uh, Cleaver, you know, uh, because I'm like, wow, he's, he talks to his son. He doesn't yell at his son, you know. He actually sits down and tries to hear what his kids are saying to understand them. That wasn't my experience. You know, the mother actually was productive and had food on the table and provided for the family. My mother never made anything for me. I wanted that kind of a family. I got it on TV. Okay? People want authentic community. People want authentic community. People want to, to have, go to a place where people will listen to them, where people will truly care about them and their needs, uh, where they can find hope for a life that goes beyond the material. We talk about a God who is real who desires to be in relationship with us, who has provided atonement for our sin and taken away our guilt and given us a reason to live in the midst of a very insane world. And when we demonstrate authentic community, which is everything we've been talking about this morning, we give a place for people to come and to see that this is real, this is possible, some that they can join themselves. The whole chapter ends with a couple of individuals... Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were people of tremendous reputation because of their love for the congregation. I'm not going to go into their example because we've run out of time. But maybe later today you can read about them and read about their testimony. And, and maybe God would lead you as a result of this time this morning to think about what you can do to be more like one of them. To be individuals known for their love and concern for others. For their valuing of community. You know, there's a lot that I believe God wants us to do as Devaramet, as a community. Both here among ourselves as well as what God wants to do with us throughout the Messianic Jewish community at large. But really what matters most is the relationship that you have with the person nearest to you right now. (laughs) The individuals around you. And the authenticity of your love, your transparency, your forgiveness, your concern with those people. It's got to start here 
It's got to start with actual individuals, not in the theoretical. <laughs> theoretical is always easy. I love all people. You know, as I, as I say often, Charles Shaw, Charlie Shaw, uh, um, Charlie Brown. I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. I mean, it's the way it always is. It's easy to theorize about the abstract. Let's think about the individuals in this room. Let's think about the people that surround us who desperately need to know who Yeshua is. Let's think about what we could do to be bright lights before them. Are you learning to check your pride? Do you, are you easily wronged? <laughs> That's pride. Be humble. Learn to understand. If you get hurt, learn to be honest with people. Be transparent. Are you learning to serve one another? I always ask this. What doesn't get done around here if you don't do it? You know, some of us more easily serve. Some of us do it because of whatever issues in our minds. But at the same time, let's think about what each of us can do to serve one another within this community. Maybe it's stuff that, that goes on that we don't even know about. Just your phone calls to people to encourage them or little notes or just, uh, just whatever. But let us always be thinking about service, learning to ever more be better servants of one another. Are you learning to genuinely rejoice over other people's achievements? Now, when I was in business years ago, years ago, you wanted to always best those around you. I mean, I always wanted to excel and step on the people around me. You know, I, I, I was the way I was, especially in sales and different things. But God wants us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Even if we're not the ones recognized. Do we truly feel excited when other people do well? It's extremely important in community. If we are truly united together, then we win when everybody else wins and we need to recognize the, the amazing blessing that others can achieve instead of feel you know, envious in some way about them. And then finally, are you learning to be teachable? Teachability is extremely important within community. You know, often, I mean, myself and Bob and our responsibility is to oversee the community. And some of that means coming up and pointing out things that need to be changed. Are you teachable? Not just from me, but other people within this congregation. Because again, part of being transparent is allowing people to see your life. And if there are things in your life which are not really beneficial for you spiritually, are you willing to hear that from people? Are you willing to take the words of God through others and really chew on them honestly and allow the Spirit of God to work in you for your benefit. That's the whole point of community. Our, our determination as believers to practice humility will determine our usefulness for the Lord. How bright is your light. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your Scripture. I thank you so much, God, for the opportunity that we have to gather as a community. And I do pray, God, that for each one of us, we would be learning evermore what it means to work out our relationship with you, to be more submitted to you and to your ways for our lives. And I do pray, God, that as a community, because of our care for one another, our submission to one another, our humility before one another, that we would be more and more a community known for its love and encouragement, our sensitivity to one another. Again, I thank you for this community. I thank you for these individuals. I pray your blessing upon us all, God as well as all those who, who you desire to impact through our service. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.